What's happening, everybody? This is Todd Wilson with another episode of Elevate Your Game. Today, we have father, husband, coach, uh, basketball executive, I like to call him. He knows a little bit. Of, he's like an encyclopedia for basketball. Um, an all-around good man, Mr. Ryan Moore. Appreciate it, my Welcome man. To good to be here. Welcome to the show. Good to be here. Uh, we love to start this show off with the wall of hoop movies. I know. I've been looking. You told me. I... Favorite hoop movie of all time and why? There's a couple not up there, but Space Jam 2, you know. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with what's on the wall so I don't take too long to answer. But I, I just from a nostalgia and uh when the game was still pure for me, childhood, I'm I'm gonna have to go with Hoosiers. Uh just with uh sitting with my dad on the couch on a Sunday afternoon. Uh Hoosiers was on when whatever point the movie was on, we were we were in at that point. Uh, yeah. Watch watching and all the way through uh, through the state championship. So, Hoosiers, but there's definitely, you know, above the rim, loving basketball, definitely on the short list. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's really tough because, like you said, when one of those movies comes on while you're, while you're watching TV, you're probably going to watch it. You're invested. <laughs> Absolutely. I think they need to remake Hoosiers, a modern-day Hoosiers. I know you can't remake it, and I don't no, want it like the new white man can't jump, but, like, because I think this younger generation has no idea about Hoosiers. And what it meant well, to basketball at the time. Well, it's dated now, and there's there's certainly probably teams out there you, you could pick to, you know, every underdog team says, you know, we're Hoosiers, we're Hoosiers, and now kids don't even, you know, you got to put it put it on on the bus when you're when you're taking that long <laughs> playoff trip. But uh, there's probably there's got to be teams out there you could pick. Yeah, no, I think I think it'd be pretty cool. So, um, so we'll hop right in. So, when did you fall in love with basketball? Uh, really early on, I, I didn't come from a basketball family. Uh, we turned into a basketball family, but my parents were from the Midwest. Uh, Dad was a was a football guy, um, and then when we moved to California, and about I was in about third fourth grade, started playing local park and rec. Nothing, nothing like what kids do now in third or fourth grade. Right. But uh, my dad, I remember my dad, like volunteering to be an assistant on the team, and originally it was just a way to hang out with my dad. Um, and then I didn't realize it then, but my dad was like going to the library at night, like reading, like coaching 101 by like Dean Smith and, and the Carolina break and, uh, and then getting into the Kansas break and, and the box sets and all that. And, and, and just spent wow. more and more time doing that and, uh, and fell in love with it that way. Man. Wow. And so from there, did you, when did it start getting serious for you? Probably about seventh grade when I realized like, hey, okay, I don't, baseball's cool, you know, flag football was cool, but this is what I enjoy working on, not just, like those, like, like games were cool, but I didn't enjoy the process. I didn't enjoy as much, you know, getting in the cages for baseball wasn't as fun for me as going and getting up shots or going and, and playing at the park and, uh, or, you know, wherever it was. And so probably about seventh grade when I realized. Who was your skills trainer then? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's called. Uh, it was called the metal rim with the chain net and uh, the asphalt surface. So, yeah. Where Where about did you exactly grow up? Thousand Oaks. Thousand Oaks. Okay. Thousand Oaks. So, okay. Um, and so, um, what was the basketball scene? I know. So AAU was around, right? And you had the park and rec. When you got to middle school, you got serious about it. How serious was basketball in the area at the time? It was getting more serious. I think I look back on it now, and we were like the very, very beginning of. AAU was around, but you had to try out and be good to make an AAU team. And I was not that guy. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I just love to play, love to be around, love to work. Um, so there wasn't a complete year-round opportunity at that time frame besides playing pickup. Like, or, uh, you know, you played park and rec and you played for your school team and you did this and you did that, but there wasn't an AAU tournament every weekend. It was just the beginning of, and I, and I say this tongue in cheek of, of every dad having their own AAU team. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, a couple guys from, from Thousand Oaks, we got a team together and played in the AR. We, you know, it was a big deal that we went down to North Hollywood and played in the ARC yeah. league. And, and that was a whole new level of basketball for us. I'm, and, and it's funny. My dad still laughs about it. Like on, on Halloween one year in seventh grade, I don't remember what the scores, but it had to be like 76 to 12. We just got smashed, like just got smashed. And then the next year we came back and they told us we beat the same team. There's no way it was the same team. There might've been two of the same guys, but for us to see a bigger world basketball vision at that point was, was, was a big deal. Yeah. So your dad was coaching you on that team? As My well? dad was an assistant the whole way through. My dad just kind of, he, he didn't pretend to, to know more than he did. Uh, didn't uh, try to do too much, um, but just always made sure we had an avenue to pursue, uh, that Andrew and I had, a, had a, an avenue to pursue what we were passionate about. That's cool. And then so uh, going on to high school, right? So this is probably where it gets more serious from, from that time. So high school, did you go to, what was that experience like? And so growing up in Thousand Oaks, always thought I'd go to Thousand Oaks High School. It was a really strong program at the time. Uh, you know, those guys were like Chris Lowell had gone to Air Force uh, out of there. Jason Hartman uh, had gone to Washington. Um, the bunch of guys had gone to, you know, some lower level stuff. And those guys were like NBA stars to us, um, you know, at the time. And so thought I would go to T.O. High. Ed Chevalier was the coach uh, who, who did a great, great job there and then eventually did a great job at Oak Park after that. But... Um, my mom is a big believer in Catholic school, and she was a Catholic school teacher for, for a number of years, and not really knowing that dynamic at that age, my mom was dead set. She did her homework, and this is, you know, pre-internet days, so sad to say, but uh, she did this, that, and, and we were going to Crespi. Um, that, that was where she was very passionate about uh, us going, and I thank God that, mm-hmm. that it worked out that way. It ended up being the best thing for me, but it was a change. I was the only one of my friends that went there, which... I think kids today are a little more used to like, hey, I'm going to go over here because it's best for me yep. in this situation. Bat- my parents, it was like, look, we know Coach a little bit. Coach, is- Coach Arena is a good guy. Um, but really, we're sending you there for so many other reasons. It's-, it's your job to make basketball work. If it works, great. If it doesn't work, great. But we're sending you there for, for a lot of other reasons um, yeah. besides basketball. And is Drew so, older or younger? Drew's younger. He's younger. He okay, just so acts he- older. <laughs> you guys both look old. So <laughs> no. Um, so how uh, how much younger? How many? Years? Three years. So okay. Years. So you're a senior. He's a freshman. Yeah, eventually. that was okay. an interesting dynamic. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I bet. Uh, so going into Crespi as a freshman, and so you know this is back in the day. So I'm assuming you went freshman JV varsity. Mm-hmm. Yep, classic. Mm-hmm. Classic, develop your way up to. And the I wasn't level. very good. Like so, like I had to <laughs> I had to work my butt off. Like I was I I was good on the freshman team, and then. You know, but that's, you know, like we tell guys all the time, that's, you're only competing against one class and then right. wasn't as good on the JV team. You're comp- you know, wasn't as skilled, I should say, on the JV team and you're competing against more guys and varsity ended up having some fun and being able to do some things by the time I was a senior, but junior year sat on the end of that bench at the varsity a lot and, mm-hmm. and had to learn and, and um, you know, it, it, the process was just so much more valued at that time, or maybe not, maybe it's valued, um, 
respected. There was no skipping steps. There was no, well, I'm not playing as much. I'm out. Right. You know, or or I know I can play more over here. And at least with you know, within schools, within CIF, and then especially within our household, like there was no talk of transferring. Like Andrew got into it a little bit before his senior year. Like they they entertained my parents entertained the conversation about that much. Um, but that was a whole different dynamic. And, and, you know, obviously he stayed once the FCF player of the year, ended up coming back as a coach on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they just entertained it to let Andrew vent. Not, not that they were ever really going to move him out of, of, of a school they chose. Right. Right. So, and so, uh, what was your thing in high school? So, uh, like you said, you had to work for everything. You got, got some, uh, freedom and some, some, you know, opportunities to play as a senior. What was your, your dynamic on the court? And what were your goals? And were you thinking NBA? Like, were you thinking? I mean, I thought NBA. I was probably crazy. Like, I no, mean, we all are, right? <laughs> I mean, I, when I say I thought it, it wasn't a, I have to do this or I got to do this. Or I, I mean, I would go to, you know, back in the days, go to the pumps camp. Yeah. Um, and you would see, you, you would see guys that you know, you knew, and you know, guys that ended up playing in the NBA. I mean, I remember, interestingly enough, you know, Carlos Boozer and Matt Barnes was like the, headliner showdown when their teams were going to play when I was at pump camp and um and that was a big deal and I was at least intelligent enough in high school to look at their games and their physical stature and their abilities and go I'm not that um but what I did want to do was play college basketball and I knew um I was capable of doing it at a certain level I did not you know I was waiting for coach K to call or I was hoping coach (laughs) K would call but I wasn't waiting um, you know, and talked to some small schools, some NAI schools, some D3 schools, and ended up playing at a, at a really small NAI school and having a fun time. But, um, nice. yeah, no, yeah. Did I think NBA? Probably more than I should admit, but. No, and I, I say that to say that you still found a route to go play at the next level, right? And so, you know, our goals and our ambitions push us to a certain level, right? We all want to be in the NBA, but it pushed you and you're like, I can still play in college though, because you put the work in and have that experience right and so what, what school did you end up playing at uh the california maritime academy oh, nice. uh, up in uh, uh vallejo right outside of oakland okay and so it's, was... it's a totally different program they're, they're doing coach they're doing a great job up there uh coach rooney reshaped it several years ago they've changed colors they've built a new gym they've built a new facility like when, full rebrand yeah when we were there it was like 11 guys you know just just trying to figure out how to make it work and we had a former d1 uh, assistant Dan Dion, who was our head coach, uh, who I look back on, and that's really where I was taught the game as a player. Um, and I think he was incredibly frustrated with me at several points, rightfully <laughs> so. But um, he was an amazing man. And then when it came time, maybe playing career is is not where it is. He he really really went out of his way to make sure I was working summer camps. When it was that, this is back when getting into coaching was you had to. NCA rules were different and all that. He, he got me working college camps, um, connected with the right guys. Um, you know, he, there was nobody he wouldn't call for me. And, and I really always appreciated that approach, even though I wasn't going to play for him anymore. Um, he, was, he was the one encouraging me, like, you, you probably need to take a different path here. And, yeah. and um, just an awesome, awesome man. Very incredibly helpful. Yeah, that's awesome. When when did you realize that you were going to be a coach? Or was it around the same time? Or I think in high school, I knew I wanted to coach. Okay. I knew there was a way to stay involved in the game way longer than 
you know, when the ball stops bouncing, there, there's, a, there's a way, way more opportunities in the game. Um, and so in high school, I knew I wanted to coach. I wasn't sure what level, where, or how, or anything, but, but I knew I wanted to coach gotcha. really pretty early on. Did you, did you take any, were you like tactically doing things like, hey, let me see what coach is doing during this game and started taking that on or? Those that know me, I'm pretty. I'm, 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 not, I'm, not, I'm not afraid of strong opinion. To have a strong opinion, and and that probably uh, was one of the positive things that Crespi developed in me as a young man was to uh, be able to articulate that opinion and and do it in a respectful manner. Sometimes basketball wise, because that was my passion, it wasn't always. Uh, you know, it, it's it's okay to disagree with your coach. It's okay to want a different play drawn. It's okay to to want a different lineup in there. It's body language matters and demeanor matters and, and how and when matters and, and tone matters and all that stuff. And that's, sometimes you learn some tough lessons by doing that the wrong way. But uh, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely got to watch a lot of things. And then, you know, I was just always in a gym playing pickup or something. So I had access to guys that were just starting their coaching career a little bit older than I was and, and all that and just hanging out hearing them talk about oh we got to go to summer league tonight or oh we got workouts in the morning or oh we got this and and kind of just eavesdropping maybe more than I was admitting at the time yeah now I, I want to take uh, two two pieces here that you kind of touched on I want to dive deeper because I think it's important is how do you approach your coach when you do disagree because I don't think kids know how to do that nowadays I don't think parents know how to do that nowadays so for kids who for players when is the right time? What is the right tone? How would you want to be, you know, communicated with that they disagree with you? I, I think the old school instant answer is, you know, we all have the 24-hour rule. Like, especially after a tough loss or anything, give us 24 hours. But really, when I say that, I don't even mean 24 hours. Just give them until the next morning. Like, and then it's, it's how and it's, you know, tone is very important. Um, you know, I've had parents wait that respected time. I've had parents try to jump the process. We're all emotional in that situation. And um, I think you and I talked about this as a father now, I understand it a little bit more every day. Um, I don't know that I ever want to coach my two sons because I want to be able to be their biggest fan. And I want to be, um, you know, I love them more than anybody. And, and that's, I understand that parents love their kids more than anybody. Um, and so if we're coming from that place, we can move forward. If it's a... How, how can they do it? There needs to be some time. There needs to be some space. And whatever your coach has established as appropriate protocol, email to set up a meeting, text or phone call, in person, whatever, you know, Zoom. Some people are comfortable doing Zoom and, you know, kind of combining it these days. Um, whatever their coach has set up as appropriate protocols, it's important to follow those because when they, when you get outside the, the established protocols now, it, it all, all heck can break loose pretty quickly. Yeah. So... Um, but understanding that you're both coming from a positive place and, you know, we're not going to discuss other kids cause that's not fair. Um, we're not, you know, I wouldn't discuss your kid with another parent. I'm not going to discuss their kid with you. Right. Um, there's a lot more that goes into coaching decisions sometimes than, you know, in that emotional moment. And most parents are okay. Clear majority of parents are okay. If, if that time Yes. passes a little bit it's it's the right after the game stuff that gets intense for everybody yep. because we're all wound up for that 32 minutes in high school and, and the buzzer sounds and that doesn't mean the tension is all right sometimes that outlet for that tension is is misapplied so um 
how do they need to do it? They need to be respectful. I, I think it's always, always, always great and always ends up the best from what I've seen when the when the young man or, or woman can do it first, when they can yes. be their own biggest advocate and yeah. it's not mom or dad fighting for them. Now, that doesn't mean to say mom and dad can't be part of the process, but the player's got to be first because most times the player knows what's going into that decision. Yes. The player's at practice every day. The player knows the other kids on the team. The player knows whose skill set combines for the best unit at that given moment. So not that there's never disagreements, but um, the player needs to be their own biggest advocate first. 100%. I, I was hoping you would touch on that. <laughs> that, that was the, the moment I was looking for because these parents are too involved nowadays. Like my mom never stepped in the gym unless I did something wrong. And she was like, oh, do I need to take him away from this sport <laughs> in this program? It was, it was the opposite. It was like, no, you better figure it out. And be, especially at these younger ages, because in college, there isn't any of that. I actually think, I, I was talking to a buddy the other day, I actually kind of think it's, it's seeping into the college level a little bit, mm. where the, not completely, but the hardline stance of, I'm not talking to your parents, at, at the college level, I don't know that that exists anymore. Now, I don't mm. think it's daily check-ins on text, or, or hey coach, why didn't so-and-so play last night? Like, I don't think it's quite as pervasive as it is at the high school level. I, I know it's not, but I, I I don't think the hardline stance in this generation, I think wow. it's filtered up, if you will. Um, I think college coaches more and more are having to maintain relationships so beyond the recruiting process. So they can retain process. their kid. Yeah, so and, transfer. and some of these NIL deals, um, you know, parents have to be involved in that. And um, I, I just think there's a way more open dialogue than there was 10 years ago, even, maybe wow. less. Man, so hopping into your coaching career, so it's a, a two-part. You could let me know how you know what was your first coaching opportunity. You know, you did the camps and everything, and then a real coaching opportunity. And what would you suggest for somebody who knows in high school, like I'm not gonna make it pro or I'm not gonna play past college? How do they start preparing themselves to be a coach, even early on in those stages? I think the biggest thing. I'll answer the second part first. The biggest thing for how you start that process, like like just be around basketball, whether it's, I mean, I remember I had a notebook and I would watch like a, like Big Monday was the huge deal and, and getting home and the Big East to the Big Ten to the Big West, you know, ESPN would move their way across the country. You get to watch three games. I remember trying to get my homework done. So I, I was allowed to turn on the TV and, and maybe catch the end of the Big East game, but definitely catching, you know, late 80s, early 90s, like Fab Five, being able to watch Michigan on TV, Calbert Chaney at Indiana, Jim Jackson at Ohio State. Anyway, all those guys and the great UNLV teams and Santa Barbara teams back then, just watch it and be around it. And, and the better, um, like, like Hubie Brown, like the, 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 you pick up on, on certain announcers. I mean, even Dick Vitale, who, you know, it definitely has a, a persona with it, but when I was younger, like Dick Vitale, he, the persona was still there, but he was kind of just out of coaching at that time. And so you were still getting little tidbits, even if it's just terminology to learn how to yep. speak the language, if you will. So if you're in a room full of coaches, you can contribute at some point um, and, and, and kind of build a relationship and build a dialogue, uh, I think is important. I, I don't think kids really watch enough basketball anymore. Right. I, and I think some kids see like, Irvine Long Beach State on TV and I'm not watching that and that's the best game you can go watch like yes. there's there's real development that has to occur at those schools there's no one and dones at those schools those coaches are are 
I mean, I'm not saying coaching at any level is better or worse or whatever, but like those, the big West, like those guys got to recruit and develop and they, they got to ID potential early on. Like they're not recruiting, not everybody they can recruit can start right away for them. They got a red shirt, they got a plan, they got to do this. And then you see game plans and you see first half actions and counters in the second half and all that. I think those are the best ones kids, you know, young men and, and women can watch um, in terms of that. How did I get in? Working camps. Um, and on my 21st birthday, I'll never forget, he doesn't remember it quite this way, but on my 21st birthday uh, at El Torito that used to be on Reseda and Ventura, uh, ran into Russell White and his Calabasas coaching staff at the time, and he was like, what, you know, what are you doing? I said, I'm working a couple camps, I'm doing this, and he said, do you want to coach? And that's kind of my segue into coaching was with wow. uh, Russell White at Calabasas. Another before, one. Man, I did not became, know that. Yeah, before he became, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to say before he became, he always had it in him, but uh, before he accomplished all before the things he was he did. famous, if you will, in our little <laughs> basketball bubble here. So, and then uh, Oaks Christian had just opened and, and got a chance to go there as an assistant coach. Um, head coach got let go midway through the season. I was 23 years old, 20, maybe 24, somewhere in there. Um, I was the interim head coach there. and coaching kids that weren't, weren't much younger than me. Uh, Mike Hornbuckle Jr. Was, was a really good player for us that went on to Pepperdine and um, just kind of rolled from there. Didn't you know I was too young at Oaks Christian. I, I didn't know what I didn't know right. yet and thought I knew everything. Couldn't tell, tell me at that age <laughs> that I didn't know it. Uh, learned a lot, built some relationships, and, and when the interim thing at Oaks Christian didn't work, ended up at Simi Valley with Christian, which is where I really think I really got to grow as a coach. Christian wrapped his arms around me from the first minute and was like, look, I'm going to, you know, open the books. I'm going to open the doors. I'm going to, how to fundraise, how to hire a coaching staff, how to run a tournament, how to run a summer league, how to run tryouts, like how to run a parent meeting. Um, the administration of head coaching. Yeah, everything <laughs> before you even get on the court, before you talk about, well, how are we going to play this year? What defense are we going to run? Who's our best players? How do we develop them? Like anything before all that, Christian just... I mean, from day one, and Simi has a very strong model for that um, over the years. This is back when we had four levels, freshman, Froshoff, JV, and varsity at Simi. And so uh, how do we scout who's in charge of what? I mean, this is still back in. This, when this first started, this was, uh, you know, it wasn't, it was... Uh, Eight millimeter tapes on the on the camcorder, you know, um, and then are you this old? I, I you know, I'm ancient. <laughs> I'm aging like milk too. It's a problem. Uh, but yeah, so so yeah, with Christian, just I mean, we had like three go bags, like duffel bags with cameras, power strips, uh, extension cords, tripods, everything. And so after the like freshman game would end, a freshman coach would go somewhere to scout. Sophomore game would end, they go somewhere to scout. JV game would end, depending on where we were, they may have to go scout that yeah. night. And we always had to make sure, we always would come back and meet at Christian's that night, and we always had to make sure that, like, like we had the power strip. And I was like, why do you have a power strip in there? There's outlets. He goes, if we get there later, someone's there first, and they're already plugged in, we got to be able to say, hey, can we just plug into the power cord? And he goes, we've had to do it before. We've got five people plugged into the power cord, all scouting the same games. And someone would have ran out of batteries if we didn't do that. So just stuff like that that you never would have thought of. And this is obviously dated technology now you don't have to do it quite like that anymore it's it's more about who you know and being able to trade film now but those i i met some great guys out scouting games like on off nights and by nights when we would go do that and you'd be sitting up on the top of the gym where are you go you know what do you do and and 
okay, here's, yeah, here's, you know, I, here's my email, I think was a brand new thing at that time. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, so maybe not that. Stop aging us, please. Though mm-hmm. you're not that old. My I mean, <laughs> I mean, schools weren't even giving out emails. I think at that time. So who knows? Who knows? It, they're killing me with how old you're making me mm-hmm. think you are, and I know you're not. But uh, <laughs> um, I just got started I, young. I guess is the way to look. No, at I think I think you got started young, and also um, I think it's important for young coaches, right? Because there's some opportunities. Young coaches getting jobs, and people thinking because they know basketball, the on-court stuff that they're ready to be a head coach. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, If you were to start a program, say you're an interim coach for any school, um, now at 23 years old, what are the, I I guess, you kind of mentioned all of them now with the administrative side. What, What is to be considered? Would you go get a coach who knows how to do that to be able to delegate those types of things? Or where would you go to gather that information at least? It's funny you ask it that way. That's one thing I was really intimidated of when I was the interim head coach and I was young. I, I thought an older, maybe more stable presence would, I, I, I think I was intimidated by someone that maybe even threw it more. And that's, I, if I had to do it all over again, I'd, I don't know what we want to call it. go hire an old head, go, go hire someone that, I can trust that isn't gunning for my job and isn't gonna accentuate all my mistakes, but is gonna help me avoid those mistakes or see the potholes coming in the road because they've been through those battles and they've seen those things and and can be like, hey, you may wanna go talk to the principal on this one before, you know, something happens or you may, you may want to lighten up in practice today. Like, hey, you know, because my answer at a young age, anytime we weren't good, oh, we didn't go hard enough. Like, <laughs> you know, and so, um, you know, I, th- I think having an, a someone who's been through the battles a little bit more and seen it and willing to help you and that you can trust is the most important thing you can do as a young coach, whether they're on your staff or not, but someone, right. you know, I think on your staff is incredibly valuable, but somebody you can, you can call and have as a resource and... Am I doing the right thing here, or what don't I see coming? Yeah. So no, so important. Uh, and I, I think you used the right words, not to be intimidated by somebody coming in and, and assisting you and helping you. I think even today, right, with all your experience, you still need a great staff behind you to help get you to the next level or keep you on track. And there's no doubt about that. I think that's one thing where I've evolved. Where I, you know, I wanted to hire young, energetic guys when I was younger and, and be around guys like me. And I think as I've evolved, it's, it's important that not everybody's the same. You know, yeah. mindset especially on a staff. You need differing thoughts. You need someone willing to stand up and say, no, like, why, why are we doing it this way? Like, right. or, or, hey, you know, maybe so-and-so should, should play a little bit more. Or, or you need someone willing to have a different opinion and step up with a different point of view. Awesome. You came from... A couple of good situations, right? You can't, the Russell White tree is, is a large tree now, and then uh, Christians. I was like the first twig that got broke off Russell White's tree. <laughs> hey, but you started there. Yeah. It was there. Yeah. And uh, then then Christian. Christian. Right? Christian Christian's is, tree is ridiculously yep. large at this point, too. And um, how long were you at CME? Um, and how did, you know, you talked about that experience, just all the things you had to do. Um, what were the most like the, the top two or three things that, you know, you took from that situation in that part of your journey that you still use today, maybe? I was at CME for six years. And uh, 
if I had it, I, I mean, I didn't have two nickels to rub together at the time, but if I had it to do all over again, like family was like, I would, I would sign up to coach with that group any day of the week and twice on Sunday. Like, like we were just, we were always me, Chris Garten, Christian Aran, Ryan Bradshaw, Nick Grandchamp. Uh, and then even Dean, who was the coach before Christian, Ryan's dad was like kind of around as like the godfather of the whole, he'd socialize with us. He'd come to games and like just that, it was just like our own little fraternity. Like we were just around each other, nonstop, families, girlfriends, whatever it was at that time for us, we were all around. And so, th so that camaraderie was unbelievable on that staff. Uh, that family environment was huge. But, but what I learned, like I, I saw Christian sweep the floor. I saw Christian, uh, you know, wash the backboards, hang new nets. Like there's no job too small. If it's your program, and Christian was always great about he didn't act like it was his program. He was just in in the big chair at that time. He'd been a player there. He'd been an assistant there. He had such respect for the guys that came before him and the guys he knew were going to come after him. Um, did he always just kind of viewed himself as a steward of the program? Like he was just the caretaker for that moment. So it was his job to make sure the backboards were clean before the tournament and to make sure, you know, it the, the trash was all out of the bleachers and the locker rooms were clean. And, and we, we ran a pretty good tournament. Christian ran a pretty good tournament at that time you know, 16 teams, which no one, you, you can't do anymore for various reasons. Um, and, 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 and really high level competition. And I mean, there was no job too small for Christian. Christian wasn't the head coach that the tournament started, went and sat over here and made everybody else do the work. Everybody had teams they were responsible for getting the locker room, getting their t-shirt. Christian was on that list with everybody else as the head coach. Um, so I think no job too small. And I know that becomes a cliche, but there's not a lot of people that live that. There's a lot right. of guys that become head coach. Well, I'm not sweeping the floor. You go sweep the floor. I'm, I'm not getting the ball rack. You get the ball rack. Like something needed to get done. Christian asked or Christian got it done, but he never was like, he never played the head coach card. Like, mm -hmm. except when it came to driving to scout. That's the only time he ever <laughs> did. He made us drive to scout. He paid for gas, but we had to drive. Um, so, so no job too small. And, and I really think Christian did such a good job connecting with the community. Our kids camp was, I mean, I may be, but it was, it was five weeks. It felt like it was the whole summer, mm -hmm. 125 kids a week. You know, we had overflow. Christian knew which kids maybe needed a little help that, that couldn't afford camp. I mean, it was, gosh, I want to say it was like nine to one every day. And it was like a hundred bucks for the week. Like he kept costs low. Man. to help the community in general he wasn't trying to line his own pockets with that um but even if there were families that couldn't afford a christian knew, like you're not missing basketball camp this summer over a hundred dollars like uh you're in and then it was a way to id talent in the community back right. when talent acquisition was a little different <laughs> um but but christian really built the wall around the whole city of Simi because even kids from the other side of town were doing whatever they can do to, to file open enrollment paperwork to get to see me high to play basketball and he, and he just he continued to build that brand so so i think no job too small and really connecting with your community whatever that is whether it's public private you have your school community really diving into that and being a part of it versus you know kind of standing on the side waiting for people to come to you and, and get stuff done man that's that's awesome because we haven't even talked about winning what was winning like in those six years? <laughs> we won a lot. We won a lot. There were a couple. I think there's, there's games we all look back on as coaches where we're like, oh, man, and, and, and this, that, and the other. But I, I, we won a lot. I think at one point, I, I'm not even going to say I think. I know. Because we all, I vividly remember 
the 07 08 season, we had uh, two guys. I mean, we had a bunch of great guys, but we had Lauren Jackson, who ended up going to Pepperdine, and Mike Meza, uh, who went to UCSD. I only say that for frame of reference. Our best player went to Pepperdine. Our second best player went to a non scholarship D2 at the time. Um, and we were at one point number 17 in the country. Uh, we we've led the state of California in scoring. That was right when Christian decided we were going to play up-tempo and fast and kind of break from the way Simi had played for 30 years previous to that. We didn't have any size anymore. Mm. Simi had always had big guys. And so we went totally up-tempo. People, I mean, some of the alumni, including Dean as, as a former coach, expressed some opinions like, are you guys sure you want to do this? And But that was the genius of Christian was we're going to have to do something new to continue to succeed at the level we want. And so that 07, 08 team, you know, was special. I mean, they were invited to my wedding. I've been invited to, to, the, to their weddings and their, their events. We're all still in each other's lives in some way, not that we all talk every day. Uh, social media has enabled you know, us to all stay connected a little bit better. But um, you know, even, after, even before those guys and after that group there for a couple of years, um, we had players. Like anyone that tells you they win without players is... I, I got a couple words for guys like that, but I'll, I'll refrain from here. But uh, we had players, and that's that's the key part. But developing those relationships to make sure the players wanted to come to Simi Valley still, yeah. and and Christian was great at that. And then developing those players as they're there, um, you know, was incredibly important. I don't know I don't know what our overall record was in those six years there, but I know we won way more than we lost, and I know we scored a ton of points, and we had a ton of fun doing it. So. Um, but that 07, 08 team really stands out as kind of like the, I don't want to say the peak because that means it fell off, but, uh, you know, kind of the highlight of uh, of a lot of good years there. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I know those, seeing both of those kids play post-college even, mm -hmm. right, and, and um, do their thing. So I was that's, I just had moved back to the Valley in 07. And okay. So, and I wasn't even into basketball like that. I would like see whoever came to the gym, like Larry Drew and the Holiday Brothers. Were over and we got to know them because Lauren was playing AAU with those guys. Okay. And so there was some overlap there yeah. with the Campbell Hall, Taft, Simi. Like that, that was kind of like the big three in the Valley at that time. Yep. Um, I think that at least I would say we were. <laughs> Coach Tate might disagree with his <laughs> Campbell Hall homerism, but whatever. <laughs> right. Um, so your next step, college after that, right? Mm -hmm. I went to go... Coaching the college ranks? A little bit. <laughs> we, uh, because we had players, we had coaches in the gym. And because Simi had just had players for so long, there was a familiarity when people came to Simi and to recruit. And it wasn't like, it's different now and the rules were different then, but guys would come into practice and then we'd go to lunch or dinner or happy hour or whatever afterwards with sometimes multiple coaches, which I don't know if that happens anymore, but that can be an, an awkward dynamic sometimes if, those college coaches don't know each other. That that was how great that, you know Christian and Dean did things at Simi, but got to know uh, Rex Walters at USF a little bit through that, and he had a player development spot open, and it was just time. And Christian encouraged me to make that jump at that time. I think Christian and I had we'd spent six good years together, and it was you know it was it was he was encouraging me to leave the nest, like it was. Look, you know, like we talked about earlier, you're opinionated, you've grown up, you've done some things. It might be time for you to, you know, put this to, you know, you got to make some decisions here instead of just suggestions type deal. Well, it, it turned out to be at the, 
at the college level and I was lucky and, and nobody will ever, nobody that knows me ever believes this story, but uh, like the first four months at USF, I didn't even say a word in staff meetings. I was just quiet. Like I didn't know everybody. I didn't know the dynamic. I didn't, hmm. so I was just, I was just trying to take it all in. Yeah, see, I can That's like, crazy. <laughs> don't believe, I still don't believe I know, <laughs> I know, I know. Um, I'm not saying it stayed that way. Eventually, I, I felt free. I, I vividly remember being on a road trip and, and speaking my mind uh, in a uh, hotel meeting room uh, in Portland, uh, and I was shot down quickly. But uh, um, yeah, got to work with Rex, and, and you know, Rex coming from the Kansas basketball family, and pretty much everybody on our staff had some Kansas connection except me, and not everybody, but most guys. Um, Luke Wicks was on our staff at that point. Uh, his brother Sundance is the head coach at Wisconsin Green Bay now, but Luke was on our staff, and Luke and Sundance had played for Don Meyer okay. in Northern States. So kind of got to hear great stories from from Luke about what it was to play for one of the greatest coaches our games ever had, and then getting to hear all the Kansas stuff and see the Kansas way of doing things and watch Rex really try to build USF. You know, from literally the program had been shut down not too much before that. And they'd had a couple coaches and tried a couple things, and, and they brought in Rex. And, you know, I don't know that everybody wants to say it, but Rex has a – the success that USF is, ha is having right now is, is a tribute to those guys. I'm not uh, – you know, Kyle Smith, Todd Golden, that staff there's now have done tremendous jobs. But Rex really did a lot of hard work to lay that foundation in terms of convincing the administration it was worth spending certain money on the program and, and maybe Jim – management uh, gym upkeep and uh practice facility worth worthwhile rex had a lot of hard conversations with administration about all that and then getting to see the recruiting dynamic and uh and all that was a lot was a lot of fun and then playing you know gonzaga is one of the best programs in the country at the time yeah. and st mary's had della vadova um you know i think the year saint that's the only year st mary's won it outright hmm. uh, the gonzaga didn't share the title in the last however many years, but so those two early BYU had just joined the conference and, and has a ton of resources. So it was fascinating to watch USF at that time with not a lot of resources, not a lot of investment, not a lot of recent success. I mean, you say Bill Cartwright and Bill Russell to kids and some, some kids were just blank stare. Who the bills? <laughs> yeah, so... Um, you know, watching that process really saw me how to build a program on another level. Mm -hmm. And the great thing for me was a lot of it was similar uh, in terms of your values, in terms of your approach to, to relationships and, and practice and player development. It was it was incredibly similar. Now your administration, the dollar amounts are different and your yeah. administration relationships are different. But um, there's a lot of similarities, which was like refreshing yeah. uh, at that time. Yeah. No, I, I think um, you kind of attract situations based on who you are and so that you kept on falling into these situations these tight-knit family environments like and you, you still do i mean yeah, <laughs> to yeah. this day it's still it still happened even though we hated each other before we coached on the same staff uh yeah it's just one thirty seconds that i was just really upset about but that's story time guys uh i'm an assistant coach at heritage christian we play chaminade okay <laughs> this is a great it's, game it's not my proudest moment this is um mine either i'm a snitch um and so <laughs> i would have done the same thing though his best player hauser uh josh hauser. josh hauser close game probably within three or five points right with this yeah minute it's, and a half. it's, it's, it's super it. close and we have you know this is when we have Jawan harris dyson uh yeah uh we have mccormaker mccormaker 
battle, just straight battle. It's probably our highest level competition game that Heritage had played since we had been in as our second year on staff there. And I think that was part of the problem for me. I don't think I was expecting that from you guys. I, I think <laughs> I think egotistically you guys were still Baby Heritage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah, 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 yeah. Guys develop. Minute and a half left in the game and somehow Hauser gets blood on his jersey. <laughs> And good old me, I notice it right away, and I'm hey, I'm competitive, and I like advantages, and I just, Raph, Raph, he has blood on his jersey. He has to get out the game. Subs him out. By the time he gets the blood cleaned up, the game's out of reach. Well, I, th I think what happened, too, was I think I called one timeout to try to handle yep. the blood, and then we only had one timeout left, and I was like, there was just a lot swirling in my head at that time, but man, I was, I was heated. He and... didn't shake my hand. No, that's not true. <laughs> I gave you, I gave you the quick grip and bye. I did not shake he, your hand. He, did you shake my hand? He said something to me. I'm gonna pull the tape up. We have the tape. Let's pull the tape. But after that, we came really cool. He was he was mad at me. But that's course, so. that, but see that's what happens <laughs> awesome. at least for me in basketball because I'm an <laughs> idiot. But like the guys that I've ever been like playing pickup with or that you have a confrontation with in like an open gym or pickup, that you end up becoming friends with those guys long term. One hundred percent. And because you can relate, you can yes. understand like. And I'm not joking. I would have done the exact. If Juwan had, had blood on his jersey at that moment, I would have done the exact same <laughs> right. thing. And I think what I was most mad about, I probably forgot the med kit that day. And so I'm scrambling, sending an assistant, you know, sending Sean to go get water. I, I don't know what was going on, but but there was so much going on that day. But it was a, it was a really really good game. That's how me and Ryan really met. Game. It was yeah. awesome. Uh, we've been friends ever since, actually. So really good friends. <laughs> yeah, absolutely it's been awesome. Um, so yeah, back to back to uh, how long were you at USF? I was there for one year. One year, and so what? You experience college. You're in this environment. You're seeing a program trying to develop, and you know under Rex Walters, an amazing coach. Um, why go back down to high school? Well, I didn't. I don't want to say I, down to high school. Back no, to no, high no. School, I get you. I didn't. I didn't go back to high school just at that point. Um, we had at the end of that year with Rex trying to build a culture and all that. I think we had six guys transfer, and this is before the portal was really a thing. Mm. Uh, I mean, guys were transferring was still very much an issue in college basketball, but but it wasn't as formalized with the portal and everything. And so we had six guys leave. We were graduating our best players, and it was really, it was a tough time for everybody. There it was tumultuous. It felt like everybody was angry at everybody. Even even guys that we all had great. It felt like everybody's on edge. And so I got an opportunity uh, to go to Occidental College as and kind of, I don't mean to say, drop in level, but step up in role. job title. If, yeah, role. And so Coach Newhall at Oxy, who was there forever at that point, is still there now. Um, he said, why don't you come here? I'm, I'm going to make you the recruiting coordinator, the associate head coach. And all that. I'm like, okay, great. Let's go. And, and really had a fun time at that level. I was there for three years. Um, recruiting a, a totally different skill set or a skill level but really academic oriented kids um you know occidental is one of the elite academic institutions on the west coast and and we couldn't just recruit everybody and and and, and learning a whole different side to college basketball where it wasn't business it was I, I always say D3 is one of my favorite levels I've ever coached at because it's the for me it's the perfect combination of college you can recruit you can select your team. You can ID the kind of guys you want, the kind of people you want around your program. But there's still such an emphasis on the student-athlete process that, like, it's not transactional. 
you yeah. can you can still be very you know one on one and 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 develop those relationships at that level while still trying to compete and and, and get better and climb the mountain. So uh, yeah, Occidental was a trip at times, <laughs> an absolute trip, but. Um, Got to, got to meet some awesome people. So what were the nuggets that you take from your D3 experience at, at Occidental that you would, <laughs> hey, for D3 coaches or somebody um, understanding different levels of coaching, being at a Division One to a Division Three? I was trying to find my voice at times in coaching. And, 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 and every staff you're on, you've got to find your voice and your role and, and what works. Um, I think at Occidental there was a pra I vividly remember there was a practice where I was really upset with our guys and I didn't quite it was our first year and we were bad it, like we were when I say we were bad we had some young men that were giving us everything they had we just didn't have much to back them up and um, I didn't quite understand the D three process like we didn't have a uh, basketball block during the day we had to schedule practices around our guys classes not the other way around. Whoa. So there were days like we would practice at 6 a.m. because that was the only time we could get everybody in the gym. Everybody had different class meetings all day. Or there were times we'd practice at 12.30 and some guys can't get there till one, but then other guys got to leave at two. Like, and, and so it's this whole thing. And so I was still learning that process. And there was a morning practice where I, I was pretty upset with our guys and, uh, and, and got loud. I wasn't you know, I just got loud, just trying to challenge them and trying to break out. And, and some guys responded and some guys didn't. And Coach and I went to breakfast after practice and we were talking. And he, he goes, look, man, this isn't D1. This isn't, and he, he was saying this all respectfully. This wasn't an insult from him. He said, this isn't D1 and this isn't Simi Valley High School, which he had a ton of respect for. His, he still texts me and emails me like, I got to get a Simi guy. I, I need a Simi guy on my roster. And, and he usually does, but he was saying this isn't Simi Valley High School where you have to teach them to play hard or what that is because these kids know. Mm. He, he goes, four of those kids were in the library all night and came straight to practice. So you're like, huh, that makes sense now. <laughs> I, I, I understand why maybe we weren't getting his best mm -hmm. at 6 a.m. And then that, that lesson paid off a few years later. We had a young man, Andrew Johnson, that we had recruited from Loyola High School, and he was... He played with Parker Cartwright and the Welsh. Okay. Like he was the fifth man on that team that most people overlooked. He was kind of a tweener, but I, I loved AJ the first time I saw him play. Just a great kid, great family. We got him to Oxy, and uh, he's now Oxy's second all-time leading scorer and I think leading rebounder. Like had a great career there. He's a fire captain up in San Francisco. Like and AJ just awesome. did wonderful things, but AJ was a very quiet kid. And, uh, you know, that lesson I learned year one at Oxy, AJ was kind of having a, a couple years later, having a rough morning practice. And, and I'm like, let me talk to AJ before I get on him right here. It's a water break come. AJ, what's up? What's going on? Coach, I've been in the library like before practice for three straight nights. I go home and sleep after practice and then go to class. But like I, I'm, I'm pulling all nighters and I'm like, all right, like here, here's a kid battling. Here's a kid doing Everything you would want a young man to do in this yeah. situation, there's got to be a better way to teach him to block out than, than maybe raising my voice right now. There's got to be a better way to get this message through, why we need him to reverse pivot here instead of front pivot here and, and, and all that. And AJ, one of my favorite kids I've ever coached. 
Um, he still thinks I yelled at him too much, but <laughs> it's funny because you're whispering now. I know. So I'm trying sure to. I'm making, I'm making sure if AJ sees this, <laughs> I'm not AJ, at you, AJ, AJ, every time I post a picture of the kids, AJ likes it. So I'm, I'm making sure if he sees some of this that AJ, AJ knows I love him. I, I know he knows I love him, but uh, that he knows maybe I, I held back once in a while, maybe not all the time. I think I think that's the best experience you can have to see that life is more important than basketball even though you love basketball and your passion and it's what the kids are committed to do that you have to see the kid for everything they are and everything they're going through i don't think enough high school coaches i know enough high school coaches at least here in southern california the kids i know check in with the kids personally enough um especially with today and all the other outside influence are going on and like it's so important to say hey how are you doing before i before I get you. Right. And, and um, being able to check on their wellness. Just check in. I'm not saying you have to have some therapists. I don't, I'm not saying you have to do all these other things. Just check no, in because I, there's this new chart I'm seeing on social media where it says, you know, has like a level of, uh, of work ethic where people are high, high, don't show up. And they say, no, it's all about consistency. Just show up every day. Give all you can. And that's going to vary what that level is. But that's more important than then. Going super hard and then just falling all the way off. Absolutely. And I think that's, I mean, one thing I've learned and, and really D3 is where I, 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 you're around so many, like everybody in D3 is an intellectual in some way, whether it's the professors you interact with, the admissions counselors, the coaches, it's just a, an intellectual level on, not that there's not intellectuals at other level, but that's some of the conversations you have sitting next to another D3 coach recruit. I remember sitting next to coach Anderson from MIT recruiting and like complaining that I couldn't get a kid in with a like a 3.7 and a 15, whatever he had at the time. And the MIT coach went, yeah, I just got a kid with a 4.8 turned down. Like, you know, so everybody's got their, their whole thing. Um, and, and, and I think talking to Coach in Vegas one time, uh, and, and he had just come off the Final Four at MIT, I think, or Elite Eight, which MIT had never done. And he made a great point. I've seen it said a couple different ways, but, but kids really aren't different these days than they were 50 years ago in terms of they have the same basic needs, they have the same basic insecurities, they have the same basic desires and social interactions, you know, in school and all that. It's, it's, that's relatively unchanged. It's everything around. Social media mm -hmm. changes everything. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, even before, right before social media blew up, cell phones and instant communication changed everything. Uh, where you didn't have to think before you hit send. You could yeah. be emotional, hit send on a text. Now it's on a status, on a, on a post, on whatever. And people don't always think out or come down, like we were talking about earlier, from that emotional reaction. So the kids have the same needs and all that. It's, it's our, us as adults, we have to meet them on their level sometimes. Yeah. And look, I want you to be great at all these things, but you're never going to be great at all these things if you're not doing your homework, if you're not going to class, if you're not, if you think this stuff isn't important, you're never going to get a chance to do the stuff you really want to do. And um, this man right here is Father Ryan. <laughs> that's the Father and Ryan speaking. That's amazing. And that's beautiful. And it's true. And um, I like that. I like that. I, uh, you know, we say that, oh, the kids are changing. But no, on a, like you're saying, on a basic level, it's all the same. It's the outside influences, I mean, and we need to be consistent to do the things to get them through. I was trying to tell the freshman in my, freshman in my class the other day, like, look, I, I loved my four years at Crespi. Like, I'm self-pride, the whole nine, like, the brotherhood. I'm, I'm all in. 
but you could never pay me to be a high school student again. Like to have to go do that again, like I would never want to go through that again. I, you look back and you remember all the stuff going on in your mind and physiological changes and all the stuff going on. Like, and now to, to add, you know, since I was in high school, you know, instant communication, social media, all that other stuff on top of it. I mean, it's, it's almost unfair to them sometimes. And I think, I think they need to have people say that to them. Like, it's, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to struggle with this. It's okay to understand how does this fit into my life or should this fit into my life. And anyway. Um, it's great stuff. Great stuff. Occidental, then to Chaminade. Yeah. Yes. Okay, sorry. I skipped that whole piece. No, no, no. It's, <laughs> um, yeah, so Occidental, uh, I'm happy. Everything's good. There's a great work-life balance in D3. So I was in Vegas with my brother uh, at Impact. Oh, okay. And uh, he came up to me and he said, he said, I think Chaminade job is going to open it. You know, would you want it? Would you be interested? I said, yeah, you know. I was getting to the age. I was dating my wife at the time. And I was, that was the one. I knew that was the one early. But so there was going to be some, you know, D3 assistant I didn't have a lot to offer in terms of, hey, I'm going to be able to provide here. Um, and so and so the Chaminade opportunity came around and had some meetings with some key people and interviewed and went through that process. And uh, it was great until it wasn't. Um, and, and learned a lot um, from a lot of different angles. Um, there's things I, I would do the absolute same that I would dig my heels on to know we were doing the right things. And there's things I would do differently um, as you know, just time, time heals all wounds, I guess, for all, all sides. But, um, you know, there were absolutely some great people that are getting to coach Josh Hauser and, and watching his career. He ended up going to the California Maritime Academy uh, years later. He went to the new one. I went to the old one. He, um, he scored a thousand points at gratis. He got his master's degree from Vanderbilt um, and watching what basketball was able to do for him. Um, you know, getting to know, uh, you know, Louis Guerra, who's the principal there now, was, was uh, just, I think he was a college counselor at the time I was there. Um, and then he went to the dean and the principal and, and get to know him at a young age and, and, and watch him, you know, take over as the principal there has been great. Um, but that was a, just a tumultuous time. I, I think there was a lot of outside influences that, that I let affect, maybe not my decisions, but how I, how I approached those decisions or how I enacted those decisions. And, uh, you know, I think we, I think both sides learned a lot, learned a lot from that one. Going from uh, college to the Mission League, right? What even your, uh, the coach that you had at Occidental kind of mentioned, hey, this isn't kind of high school basketball. Mm -hmm. Experiencing the Mission League as a, you know, first year coach of the Mission League at least, mm -hmm. what was the difference from all the other experiences? I think everybody wants, <laughs> I, I mean, as an assistant in the league now, I, I, I love it. But I think everybody wants to act like it's college basketball. And there are similarities. There are some great talents. There are some great coaches. But it's still high school. Like, like six hours a day, kids need to be in class. Like, there's other things they have to do. You're not, um, and, and it's not always, you know, we've got modern educational theories. And it's not six hours straight like it used to be. And there's, there's breaks in your day and all that. But there's, there's still high school students. Um, budgets are still, you know, from... <laughs> I'm not going to get into where I think the, the hierarchy is in the league budget-wise, but um, it's still not a college athletic, but it's not Occidental's budget, you know, right. which, you know, is a whole different conversation. Your, your travel, 
you may travel here and there, but travels less. Um, I think preparation is very similar because I think you have, you know, Rise I was leaving USF, Coach Rebo was coming into USF, and, and I think he's brought that approach mm -hmm. uh, to the Mission League. I think he definitely played a role in the Mission League's ramp up. I think he prepares his team like a college team, and his scouting reports and their film sessions are very college-like. I think he prepares his, his guys for college as well as anybody. Um, you know, the, the preparation, talent is as good as it's going to get at the high school level across the board. You're going to have 7th, 8th men as younger players that are going to be first-team all-league, league MVP type someday. Yep. Um, uh, you know, if you're the league MVP of the Mission League, you're, you're probably pretty recruitable. <laughs> um, and so... Uh, I, I think you see a comparable talent level in terms of everybody in the league's got a guy. Um, everybody in the league probably has two or three guys that are going to be the guy or have the ability to be the guy someday. Um, and everybody's got, you know, the ability to execute their game plan. But then if it's not their night or depending on matchup, that they've got to be able to counterpunch. And I, I think you, that's what you see in the Mission League more than anywhere else is um, coaches' ability to adapt and counter, yeah. uh, not just push the pedal through the floor with what we're doing. Sometimes you got to ease off the gas and change lanes for a sec. So yeah. uh, now you're, uh, Todd Wilson's been in here and said that. Russell White has been here and said that. And Dave Rubio has come and said all those same things. And it's just very consistent of the level that the Mission League operates at. And you know, for other schools who are looking to be at that level competitively in Southern California. You know, those are the differences. Right, and that's one thing, like, we would talk about at USF. Like, every, and we joke about it now still in our little USF staff chat that, whatever, it's not the, it's a wide collection of guys that are on staff over various times there, but every time a new coach gets hired in the WCC, the administration goes, we hired him so we can compete with Gonzaga. And then three years later, that coach goes, well, here's all the things Gonzaga does that we won't do and that administration goes yeah we're not we're not doing well then okay that's fine but then you don't and mission league is very comparable too every high school in this area the guys are going to get mad at me but th there's not a high school in this area that wouldn't want to play at that level every night at the mission league level whether right. it's coaching players you know school commitment to the program and all that and that's the part that really differs is school commitment to the program and school's commitment to um, funding to support to, you know, admissions and financial aid are part of this. And that doesn't mean everybody has to be on a, on a full ride or you have to totally right. compromise your academic standards as a school, but you have to find guys that fit and are on mission that maybe wouldn't have been in your blueprint if they weren't an athlete, but that's okay. Right. If that's their avenue into the school, if they're on mission and they're going to buy in great, like who cares what door they enter through? Yes. Because we're all exiting through the same door at graduation. So, um, you know, I think that's the, the key part that, that most schools don't realize. Oh, yeah, well, you know, and, and no one in the Mission League is going to run the table. It's not like the Mission League is going to run the table in non-league every year. There's losses here and there. Right. And I think some administrations get really geeked up when, oh, we beat so-and-so. We, we beat a Mission League team and we beat this. Okay, you beat them on one night. You're not beating them the other 364 days with everything they're doing <laughs> yes. to build that program and build that team right. and build those players and build that staff. No, I think so. that's super important, especially for the smaller schools that are outside of the Mission League that want to compete on that level to hear how much, not only 
does it impact the basketball program directly when you give them resources and access to things for kids that wouldn't be there, you know, kids who can't afford it but have the talent and qualify for the school and open those resources, but also how it grows the school itself. I think that's the biggest thing is like the impact of sports in school goes way past the basketball court or the football field or whatever it is. It builds the, the culture of the school, the population, um, and drives just more enrollment. And so putting that, investing into something as small as sports, because on the wide scale of things, it's a small investment for the return that you get for it. Absolutely. And that's when I said there was it's like similarities I learned at the college level. One of the great things at USF, so when, when the administration was trying to get better and we had our issues with it as a staff at the time, but we, when we went to Gonzaga to play, literally 100% of our athletic administration went. And our AD took everybody out there. And Gonzaga opened the doors and they had some meetings like, how do you guys do things? Why do you do things this way? And USF was really trying to evolve. And I learned two things through that process, uh, just kind of hearing some conversations and being around. One, Gonzaga said when they went on their first tournament run in 99, everyone's like, well, applications had to explode from all over the place. And uh, and they said, yeah, but we were always a really good school. We always got nationwide applications. What it did at Gonzaga was make the in-state kids go, okay, I'll go to a little small school with no football team. Like, mm. I don't have to go to UW. I don't have to go to Washington State to, to have a great college experience. I can go to basketball games here at Gonzaga. So it really opened the local public's eyes to Gonzaga. And two, they, they said the athletic administration was telling Art that they had a school administration that really got on board what they were okay with athletics can be the front door to the school doesn't have to be the only door right doesn't have to be for everybody but it can definitely be your greatest advertiser in terms of name recognition in terms of brand in terms of these days someone going well what's that school that just went to this and just looking it up on my own man this place looks gorgeous let's visit let's apply like and I think when you bring that down to the high school level, obviously most schools in our league aren't taking kids from all over the country, but making sure Sorry. you build your... <laughs> Sorry. Making... A little slight there. Because... Just... <laughs> it's the truth, but it's okay. I, I, I'm just saying most aren't. There's Never mind. some right. that are. Yes. <laughs> and that's their... I don't know what their inner workings are. Right, right. And I don't know how they do it. And if, right. they, if that's on brand for their school, Perfect. great. Yes. I don't, I mean, I know I have a naturally sarcastic tone and it may come out as a slight and I'm sure I'll get some I didn't catch it at first and it was like, huh. But, but if that's, if that's their process, great for them. I yeah. know at Crespi, that's not going to be yes. our process. It, our, our process is going to be different. But for us, that, that Gonzaga statement of we really want to be, we really want all the kids, you know, from the west side of the valley to Ventura County, you know, where we can kind of draw from, we want to be an acceptable destination because and and you may watch our football team play one time you may watch our basketball baseball team play one time and just go i really like how coach handled things i really liked how their players handled adversity i just like their attitude on the floor it was yeah. you know that's where i want my son to be and great that's that's what i think crespi's working to our, our president our principal our athletic director are unbel they've done an unbel i mean i'm just in my first year back home now but uh just getting back to sit back and watch and not have to be in certain conversations, but hearing the results of certain conversations, they are so, they've done such a great job advancing 
the Brotherhood brand, if you will, and the, and the, just what Crespi is and making sure that, I mean, I mean, there were people when I was in high school, you go to Crespi, where's, where, where's that? Like, you know, people in Thousand Oaks, Crespi, what's that? And uh, um, I don't think there's a person in Thousand Oaks that doesn't know about Crespi now. And maybe that's just ego egocentric for me, but. Um, no, it's a true, I mean, even with kids that I have in core who are looking for a high school, Crespi's always an option because of, you guys take care of business. You guys take care of your student athletes and every way, you know, and um, they're in a good position to be prepared for college there. And so I think that's the biggest thing. Dr. Joyce, our principal, came in a few years ago and really got us back academically and is continuing to push the academic mission without Dr. Joyce is great at balancing. Like, obviously, he's the principal. Academics are going to be first and foremost and, and, and nothing. No one will ever say different. But there's a lot of principals that come in and do that and sacrifice other things. Right. You know, they, they, they advance one mission at the, at the cost of another. And, and that's not, that's the exciting thing for me being back. Besides being home, besides getting to be an assistant and have different relationships and different dynamics with staff and, and, and uh, athletes and students, uh, just watching the mission advance and the pride in, in all areas. Um, yeah of Crespi has been unbelievable. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, skipped a couple phases here. We're already yeah. talking about Crespi. Uh, we'll get through it quick here. So Chaminade next year. Uh, doesn't work out of Chaminade. We'll just leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> Move on. You come over to Heritage Christian mm -hmm. for a year. The place that, uh, you know, we called a blood jersey on you and a uh, yeah. minute and a half left. And um, come on the staff with, with Paul and, uh, you know, where we really connected. And, Absolutely. Um, you know, what was your experience like a heritage and that was that was a whole new dynamic for me because I had like I became friends with Christian Oran as I coached with him. We we knew each other before, but we weren't really good friends until we started working together every day. Paul I had been friends with. We had been young assistants, like kinda coming up, mm -hmm. you know, very similar past, D three assistants here and the, you know, like we we had a lot of similarities and, and we'd been friends and uh, within basketball um, and socially and then getting to connect with you on staff and, and that dynamic uh, was awesome I mean I was I was a, still a wounded animal at that time in a lot of ways trying to figure out like am I going to do this like is yeah. this I, I was second guessing a lot of things I was it was it was therapeutic for me to be around people that that cared about the game and cared about their program but also cared about me um, and that was a new dynamic for me in the last couple of years at that point um, and, and I remember you and I having some conversations about all kinds of stuff. Like, like we'd start on basketball and veer into other things and, um, you know, really seeing, okay, this is my vehicle to develop. You know, I want these types of relationships in my life, but this is my vehicle for it. And, and, and I was do, doing, I was pursuing the right path with this. Um, and so getting to do that. And I really thought I'd, like, if you had told me when I, and we talked about this, like when I was at Heritage at that time, you couldn't have told me that however many years later it is now that I wouldn't still be there as an assistant. Like that really was all I wanted to do at that point was just be around good people that did the right things the right way that I enjoyed working with and that I could trust and that I knew counted on me and trusted me. That's really all I wanted to do. And <laughs> I remember vividly like that last week or two of the season, there were some developments happening in the coaching world and you were like, nah, you're gone. And I was like, dude, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> I'm here. And I remember when we lost our last game, you were like, man, it's been real. I was like, what are you talking like, 
I haven't even interviewed. Like, this isn't, this isn't done. And you were like, no, nah, you're gone. And I said, come on, man. I said, you kicking me out? And you said, no, 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 no. And so, uh, and I ended up leaving. You were right. I was wrong again. That's <laughs> twice now. Um, but uh, got to go to Moore Park and, and, and build that brand. Uh, and I think we did an incredibly good job with, uh, with a great staff, great group of families, great group of kids. Um, you know, were we a mission league level team? No. But um, that wasn't our goal either. That, well, that wasn't our goal while we were building it and, and got to meet uh, just some awesome, awesome people. And uh, at a time in my life where, where Elizabeth and I were having kids and watching those families wrap their arms around our budding family was just something I would, I mean, if I'd stayed at Heritage, you know, it'd be different. I'd, I'd, I wouldn't have that, but, you know, I get to tell my son stories like about Drake London on Sundays watching yeah. football and, you know, hey, I coached him and, and I can text him right now. It might take him two weeks to text me back, but, uh, you know, and uh, no, but Troy Anderson, uh, Noah Matera, uh, Nate Ward, Tyler Odom, who was actually a freshman when we were at Chaminade, came over, like like just Brandon Shores, Heath Nepstead. I, 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 I'm I going to leave guys out, unfortunately. I can't name them, but, but those guys just, I, we're, we're all still connected. The group chat flares up every now and then. Um, and uh, getting... so you guys built something really special really quick. You can see, like you said, the family dynamic, the community piece, um, development, development, development. You guys were on the court training, trying to get better. Uh, coaching a future pro was probably amazing. I mean, watching Drake, like you guys came to our gym a lot for games. Yeah, we were. Awesome. Between summer league and yeah, summer league all that, yeah. Man, watching that guy just <laughs> do whatever he wanted to on the court. I'm sure that's... People, I, I still, people still roll their eyes at me when I tell them if Drake had chosen basketball as his primary focus a little earlier... Lottery pick. He, he had the talent to do to do it at the pro level yeah um he was just in a situation where maybe he wasn't given access to what he needed basketball at a, at a not from mom and dad mom and dad were great um and did everything and robert eichard played it played a huge role in his development i i can't skip over that part um but just in terms of year-round basketball development um he just kind of missed a key piece but man he made up for it quickly like once we once we came in and said Here's what's happening. Like he, he didn't miss a beat, and he almost like, like there were times you'd be like, dude, we're shutting it down today. Like you got, you got to go to passing league. You got an SC visit coming up. You got this. You got that. You got whatever. Um, we got to shut it down. We got to be smart about this. And so he was. Uh, he's all world for a reason. Yeah. No. Awesome man. Great, great times just watching you in in that head role running your program. Um, man, you have a gift with that in, in starting stuff, you know, and, and, um, you know, I know you're, we're all on a journey, right? When this, with this coaching thing. And so, um, you know, from, from more park, then, um, you know, things don't work out in that situation as well. I mean, it just, it just came down to, you know, family need. I was, I was working at impact basketball during the day and Joe was great as a boss at impact, but like. It started to be unfair to Joe. Joe, we got a tournament. I'm out at 11. I promise I'll, you know. And Joe was great. I got my stuff done. I, I didn't. But um, to run a high school program, it just takes so much. And it, what we were trying to build at Park, it takes so much. And to not have an on-campus job breaks that down quick, you know, a little more quickly than, than it will some other places. And so um, 
it just wasn't going to continue to move forward the way we wanted without, you know, an administrative commitment to those kind of things. And so, uh, you know, jumped to Santa Clara for one year, which, you know, one of the proudest programs in the state school and, and program is falling on some tough, but, but trying to restore a foundation there and, and coach Latt who took it over was, was with us at Moore Park was with us at Santa Clara has taken it over now. And I think is doing a phenomenal job. I mean, I was just talking to him two days ago. Um, we talk all the time. Our staff chat at Moore Park still, he's kind of the head coach in that text now, mm -hmm. um, which I'm good with, but, uh, you know, he asked a lot of questions. They're building off that at Santa Clara. I think he'll get it back there. He's got, he's a local guy up there. I think that's important in that community. Um, you know, but a chance, chance to come home to Crespi, you know, you, it, it took me 25 years to come back home, but uh, a chance to be back home at Crespi and, and be on campus every day as a teacher um, in a class that is not, I mean, teaching freshman seminar, we get to work on time management, goal setting, study skills, which stuff, really... Stuff that matters, man. <laughs> really, you're trying to teach those as life skills. It's not what you're studying, it's how you're studying that yeah. we're, we're trying to trying to make important. We tell kids, you know, it's not the grade you get that defines you, it's how you get your grade that it, that is going to say more about you. And, and so trying to, to work through that process with young men that... I laugh because I, I'm like, dude, you guys don't even know. I see me and all my classmates sitting in front of me right now, like, I, I and they're like... Uh, whatever old man like you know and and some of them get it some of them don't some of them laugh and, and we have some good times but but then you know i appreciate you connecting me with coach fisher um who has been just unbelievable as a person as a resource as a coach has done a phenomenal forget like we talk about in high school it's all the stuff over here before you get to the court yep. um and just all this stuff off the court with me, he's been he's been phenomenal, um, teaching me things, help you know, showing me new things, new avenues, um, and all that. And then on the court, being able to learn and and you know, offer some opinions on you know, he's got some, not some high level, he's got the highest level experience uh, as a player and coach, and uh, did it did it unbelievably well, and to learn from that, but to also have him be like, hey. So what's a 35 second shot clock like? Like not yep. that he doesn't understand the shot, but like what those 11 seconds, how does that shape your offense? How does that shape your thought process? And not, I'm not, that sounded bad. Like I'm saying he didn't understand the shot clock. It was, no, it's a what, different, what, what it's a different, different can we accomplish in that yes. 11 seconds? Do we need to be in motion first and then into a set or is it set then motion or is it somewhere in between or what should we be doing? And, and having those conversations has been fascinating and then getting to ask him like, you know, questions about Kobe and the pros. And I try to pick my spots and not bombard him with that all the time. But uh, he's been just open arms. And I think he's great for, you know, it's tough to be a key part of the Crespi community without having come up through it or around it. Or there's so many people that work there that are from the Crespi community. And I think Derek has you would have no idea that he didn't come up through the crest. He embraces it. He loves it. He wants more of it. He wants to build. He wants to be a part. Like, it's just, it's unbelievable to watch. Um, and as an alum, like, forget coaching with him. As an alum, it just makes me so proud that we have somebody sitting in that chair that gets it, that that wants the Crespi brand to be better and better every day. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, the biggest takeaways I get from Derek whenever I talk to him is he's not afraid to ask questions and, and continue to get better. Like, coach at the highest level and coming down to high school in California is it's an adjustment 
a definite adjustment. And but he's like, hey, how do I do this? And and he is open to learning from you just as much as but that you are frustrates to him, I right? sat next to him on a bus ride. <laughs> we had to chaperone a field trip, and I sat next to him on a bus ride, and I was like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna get some good Lakers stories today. I'm gonna get I need some Phil Jackson stuff. I need some I need some Kobe. I need some Shaq. <laughs> I need all this. And I'd like we're sitting next to you on the bus, and I go, ready to ask question. He goes, so coach. In high school, and he just starts peppering me with high school questions, <laughs> and I'm like, Coach, like I'm sitting here to ask you questions, not the other way around. Um, you know, everything from like we talk about, from fundraising to shot clock differential yeah. to officiating to, um, you know, travel to meals to. Um, I mean, he's. I think one of the reasons he's so intelligent is because he's like you said, he's not afraid to ask questions of anybody and learn and be open to what those answers are he's not asking questions just to check the box and go okay i made him feel good by asking him questions about his experience no he's evolving his approach and his you know every every new answer he gets from every source he's constantly evolving and growing as a leader and it's it's awesome to watch happen so you've lit up since we started talking about you in this position i don't know if you noticed that right your energy has changed it, it was already great already great but um, you know, what is that being, you know, an assistant again at your, uh, you know, alma mater and, you know, being with uh, somebody who's coached and played at a high level, somebody I'm sure you watched and, Absolutely. you know, we all, we all love what Derek did for the Lakers, right? Unbelievable. And, um, so what, what is that? What is that, that, that light that's shining out of you right now, uh, being I, in this position? I think I, you know, I, I was talking to my wife about this the other day, um, professionally I've never felt more at peace in my life and, and I didn't realize it like there was always in co coaching can create my wife jokes that the only the only people that gossip more than teenage girls are basketball coaches she hears the call well who's doing this and who's transferring where and which coach is leaving for this spot and who's doing this that's facts and so my <laughs> wife says that all the time right and so I think part of that can create some anxiety too and you're always worried about what's next and whether it's next season, next job, next whatever. You're always worried about what's next. And I think this position I'm in now, I'm, I'm so lucky. One, it, it, it combines, outside of my wife and my two kids, it combines two things I love more than anything, you know, basketball and Crespi. And, sure. and so I'm at peace with that. When, when, when those two things and having two sons that, you know, obviously I've been a lot of places and hopefully that, that, that move curve slows down a little bit. But getting to bring them around Crespi and have them be a part of that brotherhood. And I mean, we see it now. Like I see Peyton White on our team who dad was a phenomenal high school coach and now a great college coach. But I see, I remember going to Crespi games as an alum, just checking in here or there and Peyton White being a little five-year-old running around on the floor, you know, maybe it wasn't five. I may have the dates wrong, but you know, Peyton being young and being around and now like Peyton has such a connection to Crespi into that brotherhood because he grew up around it. And, and I think for my boys, that's, that's a similar experience for what I envision. But being able to combine two things I care about so deeply and then getting to do it at the level the Mission League and the Crespi are at right now. And, and our young men, everything else aside, the kids we have, the young men we have on our team, it's a special group. And I'm not going to start naming names. I'll name Peyton only because he's so deeply connected historically to the program. But... Every young man on our team has, you know, just like everywhere, but, but we've got some personalities on our team and we got some guys that kind of lay back and then pick their spots. And you're, I'm starting to see that develop a little bit more. And 
knowing that I sat in those same seats and, and wore that same jersey, if you will, and had some of those same battles, it's special to me because I know where this can take them. And I had a, there's a young man on our team who said, Coach, I'm not going to play college basketball. I know I'm not. And I said, okay, well, okay, why? You know, he said, do you think you can make a call? I got into Kansas already. I'm putting some pressure on my Kansas people here. I got into Kansas already. I got a little academic money. I want to go to Kansas. Do you think you can call some guys and see if I can be a manager mm. at Kansas? I actually was on the phone on the way here talking about it. And Kansas has their own process and all that. And Derek is, Coach Fisher's connected at the highest level, and he could probably, you know, push that across the goal line easily on on his own. But um, getting to watch that young man, and I'm looking at it going, mm. man, 25 years ago, mm. I, I felt like that was me in a lot of ways. Like, how do I stay connected to this? How do I get to explore this? But I'm not going to play at Kansas. Like, I'm, they haven't called yet, you know, and, and watching this young man go through that and then watching our team evolve. We got a young team uh, for the most part um, and watching them eke their way through high school a little bit and then start to gain some confidence and, and basketball playing a role in that in terms of you can make a big shot. You may be able to walk down the hallway standing up a little higher, you know, and, and this, that, and the other. And watching that evolve from a Crespi Brotherhood standpoint and having been through that is is just awesome. Yeah, just awesome. No, that's awesome, man. You look, you feel like you're in a good space, man. I do. I, do. I haven't seen you smile this much in a long time. <laughs> Seriously, man. You, you look, it's a, a great fit. Um, you know, what? what's next for Ryan, Coach Ryan Moore? You know, I want to hang out with this coaching staff. We have, you know, Toby, Coach Spino's on our staff, and Coach Parks is on our staff, and uh, uh, Coach Coach DeCourcy, our JV coach, and we just hired a, a freshman coach, Coach Silverman, who are, like, I, I see a lot of, like, I you, you live long enough, you start to see some patterns, and not that everything's cookie cutter, mm-hmm. but I see a lot of similarities to our group at CUNY, like, we're... Basketball junkies, man. Yeah, we're starting to spend more time around each other. The group text gets a little more animated on certain things. And, um, you know, I've known Clint for forever. And, you know, maybe not known as as well as we do now. But, uh, and obviously Clint's not afraid to share his opinion either. And so we shared some opinions. Clint, need you on the show. That's a no-brainer. But uh, to go through the process with this group of young men on the team and then our staff I I don't know what's next for the first time in my career I'm not worried about what's next I'm confident whatever's next this will have prepared me for I'm not in a rush to leave Crespi in any capacity though just because you put a different title next to your name like I've done that and and um the title doesn't define anybody's ability. The level, the title doesn't define your ability as a coach. I think how you approach your job matters. And so if, if Derek wants to rock out for 30 years, like let's, let's, let's do it. Like let's, let's build this thing into a national brand and, and, you know, being able to support that mission. Like, like, let's do that. So. Awesome. Awesome. You're, you are where your feet are. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Awesome. Um, we didn't talk about it much, We'll kind of uh, transition to our next segment as we talk about this, working at Impact, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Impact being, you know, one of the first player development programs in the country uh, with Joe Bunasar and um, what he's done. Kind of, to me, he's the godfather of, of player development, man. First one to actually put it together in a business-like manner and working with some monsters. Unbelievable <laughs> roster. Absolute monsters. And um, you just, 
you, you know, leading the programming and recruitment and administration of that. Um, so what goes, we're going to transition to our segment of uh, My Rushmore. Okay. So your top four trainers. So I got, I got three layups on this one. I'm lucky. Uh, so you mentioned Joe kind of being the founding father of player development and coming out of Coach Knight in Indiana and that was a thing and IMG to impact and all that. Joe, Joe's the, you know, Joe's right there. Joe, Joe Bunasar, number one on the Mount Rush form. I got it. I, let me get through the second one. I got to go with my brother. I'm a little biased, but I think my brother found a way to work for Joe carve out his niche in the space, develop relationships. Um, is still doing some stuff on the side with some guys. Um, I may be a little family biased, but I think he did an unbelievable job and had an unbelievable roster uh, as well. Now, I'm going to catch heck for this, this third one here, and you're going to roll your eyes. Uh, but my third one, and I've told you this one-on-one. -on -one, Go ahead, I'm preparing. Uh, I've told you this one-on-one. -on -one. You. Oh. Todd Wilson. I ain't going to roll my eyes. Okay. I'm, I'm just saying, I'm not you. just saying that because I'm sitting here in front of you. If anybody would have asked, um, I, I would have, I, I, I have told you from day one, uh, I, I respect how, how diligently you approach your work. I respect the relationships you're able to build because I, I think the work you do with kids, young men, is you wouldn't be able to reach the get young men to reach the levels you've gotten them to reach without the relationships. I, you, you probably basketball guys could have gotten them to a certain level, but you, you go so much beyond, I think, where even they know where they can go when, when they first get to you uh, and the relationships and all that and the continued relationships after, you know, they progress and it becomes a summer workout thing or, you know, they're off playing in college or playing in pros. Those relationships are so strong. They're still seeking your advice at that point. Uh, the fourth one's a little tough. I got, there, there's a couple names uh, that have been floating around in my head I, that I'm not sure uh, which way to go, but based on our, our previous conversation uh, and, and my, my tip of the cap to the pump camps back in the day, back when camps were like workout all morning, play in the evening, not just right. three days of games. Uh, and I don't, I don't have a relationship with the, with this guy. I don't know him. I have friends that know him. I follow him on social media. I I went to all his optional workouts in the morning at pump camp. He doesn't know I exist, I'm sure. Uh, Aubrey McCreary. Uh, uh, I just watched the work he's done with guys. And, and I tend to like guys. You, Joe, my brother, and Aubrey, like, you're not limelight-seeking guys. The limelight finds you guys. And... My brother does a little bit better job hiding from it than anyone I know. Than anyone in the world. I mean, let me just tell you about <laughs> this guy, Kyle Lowry. Yeah. Uh, where do we? I mean, Serge Ibaka, Serge, KG, uh, and, and Chauncey, and those guys. Like um, crazy, crazy NBA roster, and just stayed out of the way, but just knows the game inside and out. He really and, does. An amazing player developer, but no argument. And so, and so that's kind of like from a guy that's approached the myself who's approached the game from a different angle in terms of coaching team mm -hmm. all the time you you deal with some player development guys that have very strong opinions about what coaches do and don't know so i think it's the guys that are willing to work from a coaching side too guys that will work with player development guys and then player development guys that will work with coaches and not just yep. the second their guy gets pulled from a game or the second their guy doesn't get everything they want 
it's all bad and that we need to transfer or that coach doesn't know what he's doing or we need to switch AAU teams and vice versa. The second you put somebody in a game and the shot doesn't go down or the move doesn't get made or they don't execute properly, well, you know, the easiest thing is a coach say, oh, you're, if you weren't doing triple spin, triple combo, cone drill, you know, this, right, that, the, the amount other. of kids that tell me that coaches say, you're doing that core prep stuff. And yeah, this is from all the high schools that they go to. So, coaches, I hear you. Yeah. I just don't care. But I, <laughs> I don't know anyone on our staff that would, that would say core prep in that manner. But um, um, it's, too e it's too easy to lump all coaches into one side and all player development guys. Right. We're all coaches at the end of the day anyway. Yes. Um, and I think it's become too segmented. But if we're, if we're having this conversation, then um, we're all working – we all want that kid to be the best he can be, maybe for different reasons, maybe for different purposes, maybe to different end goals at times. But um, if we all want that young man to be the best he can be, then we all need to operate from, from a place of unity, understanding and unity. Yeah, absolutely. Now, that uh, brings me to a quick commercial break. So this is what we do. So I'm building this platform to mm -hmm. talk about my consulting side with the basketball firm. Right. And so that's what we're doing. We show parents that when you're developing your kid, you have to have a board of directors. It's not just one person controlling your career all the way out. Your head coach, your AAU coach, your trainer, your performance trainer, your academic advisor and the, your camp have to be on the same page. There should be a meeting at least once a quarter, once a year, whatever it is to understand, make sure everybody's on the same page about getting you on your journey to where you go. Yeah. I call that your board of directors. I like that. That direct these that. areas of your life so you can be pushed to your goals and your dreams. They're not on the same page, you're gonna be pulling. And that's what happens to a lot of kids, especially at a younger age, that you know their parents want them to be number one in the country in eighth grade instead of number one in the country in 12th grade when it actually matters. That's a whole conversation. We lost a kid at Shamanah because I told his parents, I don't care if you're the number one freshman in the country. Like, that's great. Like. Mm -hmm. But the goal is to have you be the number one senior in the country and have you hold all the cards and have all the choices you want four years from now. Because none of these ranking things mean anything now. They're gonna mean, they don't really they mean a lot more later. Did that kid ever get to number one in the country? No, he did not. Okay. But he's, <laughs> he's a pro. Yeah. No, I, I actually know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. Um, I remember that conversation. I was in on that conversation and I didn't know you were talking to him because I would have helped. Um, that was before I knew you, though. Very interesting. Um, Nevertheless, thank you for that. So my four top trainers. All right. My four top trainers. This is going to be. I love you all, just so you know, yeah. but <laughs> my four. No order. Um, Chris Johnson. My, you know, he's, he's probably the one who mentored me the most Absolutely. in this game to show me. I understand basketball on a whole different level because of how he trains. Um, taught me client player relationship at the highest level, how to, you know, communicate with, with pros and their agents and all those types of things. I've been in those environments for a long time, but it wasn't until I was with Chris to understand how to, um, you know, just, just be fit in into that environment. So Chris being on the show, I mean, the, you can't argue with the work. I don't know Chris, Yeah, I've, I've, but the, you can't argue with the work at all. No, he's, he's, and he'll be on the court from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m and work like he's just a grinder he loves what he does um and he has man he loves it more than me like i'm i'm like yo i'm out at 12 you keep on going though <laughs> like i'm good but uh shout out to chris uh for sure um drew hanlon 
I'm just a, uh, me and Drew talk like on social media. I have not met Drew, which is crazy because he's in LA all the time. We're just. Drew, get on, get on the podcast. You're, please, yeah, you're like the fourth person to tell him that. Um, he's he's going to come on one day whenever we get a hold of him. He's, he's a St. Louis guy. Busy. My whole family's from St. Louis. We'll see okay. if we can track him down. There we go. So I got a lot of people working on that one. So Drew, just uh, his communication. Um, I think my skill in training is my communication. I think I, I'm able to communicate really well and break high-level ideas down to middle school kids. I think that's why. I'm so successful in this this age because of my communication. But I learned it from Drew watching every single one of his videos he put on early early on. I listened to just how he spoke, terminology and those things. He was a, a mentor for me without even knowing it, you know, with how he communicates the game. So uh, Phil Handy, who's a coach. He's an assistant coach, but he is a player developer. That's probably one I left off my list only because of the personal bias that played a role in my list. It's okay. Phil is if you put me above Phil, I'm not mad at you, but Phil I don't believe you. Well, maybe my time, family bias. <laughs> yeah, well, either way. But uh, Phil Handy, just um, like he's, I think he's developed a, um, a philosophy on training that um, can, it just works. Mm-hmm. It just works. Uh, him and Chris came up together. And so, you know, I don't Phil, think I knew that. Yeah. So they, they connected back in the day, some Nike camp or something like that. And um, they, the way they train is very, very similar. The terminology they use and the philosophy they use is, is very similar. Phil's in the NBA doing it, oh, that yeah. route. Chris is doing the independent route. Um, and Phil's even, he's building his, you know, 94 foot and on his independent side as well. But uh, Phil Handy just, uh, and he's an open book. When you ask him questions, he, he's going, like, like, those guys are the truth. The fourth, oof. Cut list time. Huh? Cut list time. You got to draw a line here. Fourth. It's going to be interesting. I'm not going to say myself. I'm, and there's a reason why. Because most of these guys are like, they'll be on the court all day. I'm not that kind of trainer. Okay. I'm not, I'm not, well, I'm not as committed to being on the court as much as them. Now, I'm committed to knowing the game and teaching the game very well. But I'm a, a three hours a day kind of guy when it comes to training. Um, Who? Trying to think here. I, I, I think it, I think, I don't even know. This is tough. It's a lot of good ones. <laughs> I'm going through my little catalog here. It's a lot of good ones. I just wanted to put you on the spot with this one. Go ahead. You have no, no, no. I'm just saying in terms of the, the uh, oh, who I'm concept. Keeping off. Yeah, who I'm keeping on. No, it was very, topic. it was a very good question. So those three were easy. Um, This is, yeah, like you said, I, I think Joe Bunazar, um, overall, right? Just what he's done for the game, pre-draft process, like he's created the protocol for what pre-draft looks like and preparing guys for the NBA. Um, once again, terminology, how to connect with people, his relationships within basketball. Uh, I don't, I, I, everybody I talk to, like, oh yeah, I used to work at Impact. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> it's like one of those, like his, his tree is ridiculously, you know, and he's still doing it. Still mm-hmm. doing it, um, and um, so Joe Bunasar, okay, another guy who gave me opportunity and you know got me to this position. So. Absolutely, absolutely. So this is where we flip the script. You are now the interviewer. Two questions could be about anything. Okay, uh, two questions about anything. Well, we, you and I, over the last four or five years, our conversations have shifted. Yeah. Uh, what has been? What do you think has been? 
the biggest change in your approach to coaching since you became a father? Oh, if any. I became a father. Um, so it's interesting. So as soon as I had my daughter, I stopped coaching. I stopped coaching on the sideline, right. at least. That's when I stopped. And so sideline coaching, I don't know. Uh, my approach to you know coaching, training, developing, um, I'm a lot more understanding to parents who are um, just so committed to their kids' process because I'm like that with my daughter. Anything my daughter's doing, I have something to say about it. Um, I just said this on the last show. It's funny. It's like anything she does, yes, I have. That's my daughter, so I get to say something about it. So respecting that. Before, I'm like, you're a parent. You don't know anything. Like, you're a doctor. Don't tell me how to train your kid in basketball. But it has nothing to do with their profession. It has more to do with um, their invested interests to the love of their life. And so um, it made me realize I don't want to coach my daughter. I don't because I love her too much, and I'm going to be tough. My son has no choice. Uh, I expect him to be tough. <laughs> my daughter is, is a... a you know, I'm going to be very delicate and let her like she so she's going to start basketball in March, a little clinic or whatever at uh, Shepherd Church. And um, I asked her, I was like, do you want me to coach you? She's like, no, mm-hmm. I just she said, no, I want to play with the kids. That's what she told me. And okay. I'm like, I'm, done. I'm all, I'm just sit there and be a parent. And if she asks for help one day, that's when I'll start coaching her. So mm-hmm. just understanding that dynamic of um, caring for your kids so much that you want to be involved even if it's something that you know nothing about. Like, I just understand that more, so I have more patience for the parents, and it's improved my communication with parents. And, um, you know, I, I think that's why parents uh, lean on my opinion and my, you know, my recommendation for them, because I have a level of understanding. And, and still not to the level of them, because I don't even have a kid playing sports like that yet. So Watching yeah. that evolve would be fun. Yeah. Uh, so then that leads to my second question. Then will there be, or has there, has it been ruled out? Will there ever be a return to sideline coaching for Coach Todd Wilson? There will be. That is, uh, it's official. Oh. Okay. Yeah, I've been thinking about it yeah. literally this past weekend. Um, I will return to a sideline somewhere, somehow. Somewhere, okay. Somewhere, somehow. Um, either uh, high school or AAU, um, in some level, high school only not dealing like I, oh, I, love, okay. I love my middle school space what I'm doing I'm keeping it there um, but I'm sure you've but, had opportunities at the college level I'm sure there's been feelers uh yeah I mean I shoot them down so fast that I don't know okay right and so I tell people oh no I'm not coaching but I'm not uh, I'm not interested in college because I want to be I know the commitment that takes and so I want to be with my kids while they're growing up um, and that's why I've stayed away from high school as well like these four or five months right here are a grind and I'm sure you're feeling it and your wife feels it like not being able to be home in some evenings and those long nights, you know, take a toll. And um, as you know, you know, my son, he's a handful. And so I need to be there. We we share that. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I need to be there. So um, but no, I've had the itch. I can feel it. I know it's um, it's the natural progression of a player developer to become a coach. That is my belief that you have to. That's that's the next elevation is to be a coach and to have a program, to develop kids, and to have that family environment, to create a culture, all those things that I, I do, you know, with core, but I want to do it in a more intimate level and uh, see what I'm capable of. So, yeah. There it is. You got the exclusive Ryan Moore with the there interview with the exclusive. Someone else going to have to break the news <laughs> on when and where. But. Right, right. Well, no, it's no, nowhere yet. 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 Um, 
That doesn't mean you start calling me coaches, mm. uh, <laughs> but you can if you want to. So that's the show, man. There it is. You have a 24 second shot clock. That's your camera there. Um, let the people know where they can find you and anything oh. you want to, uh, you know, just say to the people. Um, any message that you have for, for people? Uh, you know, one, I wouldn't be here if I didn't have a great uh, relationship with Todd Wilson. So those of you that are watching this that are going through his program or considering being a part of his program, uh, I would send my sons to play for him any day of the week. Absolutely. Uh, I look forward to being able to do that someday. Uh, obviously, I feel the same way about the brotherhood we're building, at, continuing to build at Crespi and being a part of that again. Uh, I'm not hard to find on social media. Uh, I'll, I'll pop off every now and then. I try to keep it a little more vanilla now that I've got kids. But uh, uh, I'm not hard to find. Anything I can do, young coaches out there, uh, it's a passion of mine to help you guys. Um, if, if you reach out, text, email, Twitter, DM, Instagram, DM, whatever, and reach me through Todd. Uh, more than willy, willing to uh, sit down and offer any advice or, or any help I can as an avenue into the game. Perfect, man. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, sir. All right, guys. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Peace.